Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Quinn Checkers in the air, and we have a first-time winner in the NTT IndyCar Series on the streets of St. Petersburg. Scott McLaughlin wins the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. They go side-by-side into turn number four. Side-by-side to the third finish line, and Joseph Newgarden will steal the win on the last quarter lap of the race. He wins the XFL 375. Joseph Newgarden, bridesmaid, back-to-back time to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. A bridesmaid no more. He goes to victory lane. Marcus Erickson flies under the twin checkers, and he has achieved racing immortality. He wins the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. It's just uh, incredible. I worked so hard for a moment like this, and to win the greatest spectacle in racing, the biggest race in the world, with all my family here, my girlfriend, my backers, it's just... It couldn't be better, you know, it's just incredible. Will Power's going to climb into the throttle. The lead, 1.1 seconds for Will Power. Twin checkers out, and he holds up Alexander Rossi. A spirited battle over the final lap as Will Power gives Chevrolet their 100th win. Outdueling Alexander Rossi to the checkered flag. When he crests the hill, he'll see the twin checkers. A dominant day for Joseph Newgarden. He leads 26 of the 55 laps in route to victory at the Saggio Grand Prix of Road America. Herta and Rosenquist try to keep pace, but they're not going to catch it. Scott Dixon sees the twin checkered flag, and for the fourth time, he will win the Honda Indy Toronto. Win number four about to go in the books for Joseph Newgarden. Twin checkers out. He wins the Ivy Deals.com 250, presented by DoorDash here at Iowa Speedway. What an unbelievable set of circumstances. A drag race to the start-finish line, but Scott Dixon will not be denied. He goes into history as he steps away from Mario Andretti. He takes the checkered flag and wins the big machine Music City Grand Prix. He'll come off of turn number 11. He, too, will see the twin checkered flag, and it will be the second championship in the career of Will Power in a season in which he cracked up but one win, a model of consistency. Hello, happy holidays. Welcome to the final edition of Trackside. In 2022, we thought we'd start you off with some highlights looking back throughout the season. So one more look back to the past year, and we'll start to peek ahead and really get into it. The next time we speak, we will be able to talk about races coming up this year, thanks for joining us on the program. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Molinix is in our studios in downtown Indianapolis next to the world's largest Christmas tree. Big show on the program coming up later tonight. Stefan Wilson is going to be joining us and also uh, his co-owner, Don Cusick, who's kind of helped make things happen. And I think it'll be interesting to talk to Don. I know we've talked to Stefan about the story of how they got hooked up together. But one of the reasons I want to talk to Don is because he's, I think, one of the people that had something to do with IndyCar's preseason test 
at the Thermal Club near Palm Springs in California. He's a member there, and he can least, and I'm sure Stefan can too, tell us what this track is like, whether it's going to serve a purpose and a value for teams testing leading up to the preseason. And, you know, I think Don can probably speak to, hey, is there a market for a race there? Or would the wealthy people that live on the property, would they say, eh, I'm not sure we really want a lot of people coming around, which I think is more likely to be the case. But maybe Don can have a different opinion on that. So that's coming up later on in the show. Also, the guys from Dinner with Racers. We always give this a plug at the end of the year because we have a week or two off. Normally, it's two. This year, it's just one week off. So there are fresh podcasts available from Sean Heckman and Ryan Eversley and Kurt. They have run out of guest ideas. I am uh, episode number 220. (laughs) Guest number 220. So uh, it better get to 221 or I'm taking the fall for killing that podcast. But Ryan and Sean will join us coming up later on uh, to to talk about how that got started. And, and maybe you don't know much about their background. You've heard them interview people, but I'm going to interview them now and turn the table just a, a little bit. And we um, it, it's not a meritocracy on our young driver guests. It helps to know someone, like maybe live in the household of one of the hosts or be close friends with one of the hosts. So Jackson Bell. We do prefer Jackson, young drivers named Jackson on the show. Jackson Bell, Townsend's son, who made his racing debut a few weeks ago and finished third in his first race, second in his second race in Skip Barber. He'll be on the show a little bit later on. Any tweets you got at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. I forgot to ask you about your book list, so we may do that uh, at the end of the segment. So keep keep an eye on that. If you ever jotted some of those down and there's some, some news that we'll get to and much more. And then we wrap up the whole year in this one program. So it's always good to kind of reminisce a little bit. And I'm sure you jotted some things down for us that we can kind of take a peek back at. Well, you know, I was thinking about like, what will 2022 be remembered for? And I don't want to be provincial, but I think from a whole series standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, from a sporting world standpoint, you know, just really what global motorsports is about. A full house back at Indianapolis after a couple of very difficult years in 20 and, and 21. I think, I think that I will take away, you know, the capacity crowd again, returning to Indianapolis and the vibe that the 500 had. You know, we take the, uh, we talk a lot about the on track activities. And we talk about, you know, pit stop challenges and and a driver like Marcus Erickson winning his first Indianapolis 500 and all the polls uh, that are won at Indianapolis. But we forget about, well, we don't forget about, but we don't talk a lot about just having concerts back at the facility, having people gather and come to this uh, great iconic sporting facility through other means. We come there year after year because we're race fans. So because we're close with the 500, because we've seen it so many times and it just is in our blood. But a lot of new people come to the racetrack first as concert goers. They come as EDM, you know, young people gathering in turn three. But just you take all of those things that happened in 2022 for the first time in three years. And it really has to be the signature moment of the year. And it's, it's the kind of the, the one thing that I think I will take. There's a lot of side things. And I think 
you know, I jotted some notes down about some, some other things we will remember 22 for, but, uh, but really I think it starts and ends with just having everybody back. It felt like, you know, we talk about the first race of the season, always kind of feeling like getting back to school and first day of school kind of things. I think this felt like a family reunion that we haven't had for a while. You know, it felt like we haven't had the opportunity to gather as a family. And that's what 2022 did on on Memorial Day weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I would I, I can't argue with that. I think that's a significant part of the year. And then just kind of jostling my memory. I also had that same thought at St. Pete to open the season. I know not as many of our listeners go to that event, but not only is it the, the season opener, so there's always a special feeling there. And it's not like we missed St. Pete from the year before, uh, but this year it was a little bit closer to normal and had more of the traditional feel of that. So it kind of got started there. That was one, you know, I think Long Beach also had more of the traditional feel. We had finished 21 there but it was all masked up and it was a little bit restricted and it was back to being open again in 22. But, but yeah, when you're talking more than a quarter of a million people to whatever it is. But yeah, full house in 2022 at IMS. And I think that's kind of the signature moment. Uh, you can talk about uh, Erickson, uh, you know, and, and what a surprise that was and how good Ganassi was. And, and I think those are, those will be the other signature moments. Uh, although I think you could argue, and I know the Borg Warner Trophy won't reflect this, but is it possible that that guys like like us and those of us that follow the sport as closely as we do will remember the, this 500 in 2022 as much for what Scott Dixon didn't do? I mean, he wins the poll for the fourth time in eight years. He does it back to back. He's dominating the Indianapolis 500. I think he led 95 laps roughly of the 200. He's got a commanding, I'd say Mm -hmm. commanding lead, given the fact that uh, this era of competitiveness is at an all-time high or right near it. I mean, this is a, a race that if you led by two or three seconds, that was a commanding lead. So he has the race pretty much in hand. He's had a great month. He's had a, another winning type of month. And then by just a fraction of a second, exceeds the pit limit speed entering the pits on lap 175 of 200 and doesn't win his second Indianapolis 500. Is it possible that that while we won't exactly put these two moments alongside of each other, that Dixon's mistake almost outweighs Erickson's victory? If, it's a good if question. That makes sense. What we will, will we remember in 10 or 15 years? And that might be it. That, that well, I think could... we, we will celebrate Erickson many more times. I mean, we will talk about, you know, and I think over time you will, you will emerge with Erickson as the signature moment. But, but I think at least in, in still with this fresh in mind, I think we will remember Dixon's because there's been other Indy 500 uh, situations where where drivers make a mistake, don't win the race. But, for example, in 2012, I think as much about Sato crashing as I do Dario winning. So, Well, there know, are other years you think about Mario slowing or Michael breaking. You know, there are a lot of years that people would go through 
um, going back many, many years where someone that doesn't win is the memorable part of that race. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's very interesting. The other thing that's, that's, uh, sort of interesting is, you know, when you talk about Erickson and this is kind of one of the elements that I think about, it was kind of the year of the Swede. You had Erickson winning his first Indianapolis 500. You had Linus Lundquist winning the lights title. You had Felix Rosenquist really emerging as, as somebody not only who's, who saved their job, but maybe, you know, improve their stature as much as anybody in this uh, very deep field. And those three guys really represented their country. And we're going to see more of them. We're seeing the Christian Lungards and, and, it, you know, this is a, this is a very uh, hot topic, a, a country. We had the Brazilians two decades ago that really emerged uh, partly because of the tobacco sponsorship had brought uh, great opportunities for guys like Castroneves and Canaan and the Giafonis and and on down the line. There were there were probably nine or ten in in the Indy 500 there in 2001, 2002. Jill DeFerrin, 2003. Uh, so we are in this period of the Swede invasion, and it was a very good year in 2022 for Ericsson, Lundgaard, and and Lundqvist. You know, if we're just thinking about lasting memories from the season, not going in any particular order, what still is going to be my biggest memory of the year is something that did not happen on track when the defending champion is announced with two teams on the same day and the rest of the season, a significant amount of the focus is on where he is going to be racing and to some extent, even if he's going to be racing in 2023, and that's the saga of Alex Pillow. Yeah, that, that really was a big moment. In fact, uh, uh, Joey Barnes, who many of our listeners have read over the years, different uh, different media outlets, has joined our IMS uh, IndyCar staff. And he and I had a conversation just about, you know, who should be the favorites in 2023. And I very quickly added Alex Pillow because – I think he lost with the with the distraction that you just brought up and and the reasons behind that. I think he essentially lost half the season. He was he was in a crosshairs of of trying to figure out the legal situation that he had found himself in. Uh he was distracted. He wasn't right with his team for for several races. And you know, you could pretty much add from Toronto all the way up until Laguna Seca where he wasn't really in the mix for race wins the way he should have been. So I think you add those races back into sort of his uh, into his calendar, if you will, and and I think they're going to have a really good year in twenty three. So Pelot so is a huge story. The distraction part will be gone because there's no concern, but the tangible aspect of. You know, I can't imagine in 23 they're going to allow him to take data home. And, you know, that was one of the things that actually changed that would have impacted the way he prepares for weekends, made it a little bit more difficult. I, I can't imagine there's going to be deep secrets shared with him at any time from this point on, since it's known that he's moving on at the end of the next season. But at least the, the mental part of that is gone and they have come to an agreement and he knows I think, even though he's not allowed to say he's not allowed to negotiate with anyone until September of 2023, but everyone believes he's headed to 
Arrow McLaren in 2024. So that part is gone, but we'll see how much this other part matters because I, I do think there's still going to be a little bit of a wall between him and the rest of the team as far as sharing information directly with him. He's going to have to rely on his engineer to get it right. And as you go drive the car, we're not telling you what change we made. Yeah, you know, and I, and I haven't been a, a race car driver at this level, obviously, but it might be liberating uh, in some respects to just focus on your car, to Maybe. not have some of the data. Uh, sometimes I always think, and I've, I always have come to that conclusion with Andretti when they field, you know, five, six, seven cars in the Indianapolis 500. I wonder if there's just too much information. Uh, I believe some of those drivers have talked about it. Now, yeah. I agree with you that, that Polo may, may miss some of that. Uh, but honestly, just focusing on his car as he did at Laguna Seca, he probably didn't have much different of a scenario there or in the last few races of 2022 that he'll face than he'll face in 23. And I thought he looked pretty good in those last few races. Yes, he did look pretty good at Laguna Seca winning by what, 30 seconds or so. So I I would say that went okay for him in that one. So what else stands out? Well, you know, we've gotten this far into the conversation, 12, 14 minutes. We haven't even mentioned willpower and, Mm -hmm. and kind of the, and for that matter, Joseph Newgarden, you know, Newgarden goes a kind of a five and dime, if you will, five race wins, uh, really has a strong season. And yet I think he walks away from 22 thinking, man, it was the opportunities that I missed. You think about the second race at Iowa when he had that in command. Uh, he could have won six races. He's talking about, and we, we've mentioned this, but haven't really, you know, thought about the possibility of this actually happening. He's talked about winning 10 races in a season. Now, this is a competitive field. We know that. There are only 17 races. But the idea that Joseph Newgarden has in his mind that I think, uh, you know, 10 races, double-figure wins in a season is possible, ought to tell you about how his his aggression and his, uh, you know, his positivity is there. But for him to win five races, for for power to be really competitive – uh, week in, week out for a race win, only got the one, but to win his second title, you know, what was that, 14 years apart? Is that what it, what it turned out to be? Um, so, you know, really a, a big moment for Team Penske. And Scott McLaughlin was tremendous. You know, we've heard a little bit in the last few days about Grosjean really talking up uh, McLaughlin and how he's, you know, really a special talent. This is somebody who's not even – you know, on his team, let alone on the same manufacturer side. So for another driver to be talking about how good, you know, one of his competitors is, is really impressive. And we probably underplay. I, 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 different people had different feelings. I know some fans were annoyed with the hype coming along with Scott McLaughlin, um, but he backed it up in year two and, and maybe it's underplayed. Essentially, as said many times, he had driven nothing more than a Formula Ford as far as this type of car is considered. He's driving a much heavier stock car type of GT car and to, in year two, be able to win races and somewhat contend for the championship does show what his talent is. So I was telling the story about how you and I talked to earlier in the season or even at the start of the season before it began about where he could finish 
And we were anywhere from, you know, or at least I was anywhere from seventh in the standings to 10th. And even, even as I'm reflecting on 2022, I said, well, you know, he finished what sixth, seventh. We finished fourth. <laughs> you know, even, even as I reflect on it, I'm under, under appreciating what he accomplished. He, he basically came out of the box, kicked everyone's butt at St. Mm-hmm. Pete. And when he was on, as he was at some other races this year, you know, he was dynamite. And so McLaughlin year combined with the five wins of New Garden and the championship of, of Will Power, a really kind of special year for Team Penske. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting. It took us this long in the conversation to even get to that. And then another memory, which will move forward to 23, is as great as Team Penske was, they for, I think it's three years now, have not been strong at the Indy 500. They have raced their way into some circumstances and and been better on race day, but I, I think they would say we're just not quick enough, especially in qualifying. And qualifying right now in this current formula is more important at the Indy 500 than it was in what that 20, I forget when it started, 2012 to 2017 era where there was just passing back and forth. And you had a chance to work your way through the field. You still can but it's more difficult. So that's when we get to a preview next year. You know, I've I've said it for the last two years, and I'll probably say it one more time. I'm going to count on Team Penske to figure it out, but nothing has changed. So that's going to be challenging for them to figure it out next year. But that's still a surprise that I know that was a major focus coming into this year is that we must be stronger at Indy and they, relatively speaking, were not. Here's how important it is and how much it's top of mind. And I don't share a lot of these kind of stories because I don't, I don't want it to sound like I know that it sounds, but I sent Roger a, uh, a text last week and I, you know, it was on a particular subject and he texted back with a quick response, but then he said, we need more speed at Indy. This was in the text about something else. Unrelated. Unsolicited. (laughs) We need more speed at Indy. No, I know he's mentioned that to others within the organization at different times. It is a priority and has been. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, as I started making lists, I mean, you, you referenced the fact that I made lists. The other, the other thing we shouldn't lose sight of, there were big milestones in, uh, in 2022. Mostly at this at the speedway, but you know, from the standpoint of you had the fastest, and I don't I don't necessarily like this stat as much as some do, but it was the fastest pole speed in history. Uh, yeah. That's because the the you know the fastest the record holder was not a was not a pole winner, and that's a whole other uh, discussion point for those that haven't been as following it as long as you and I have. But but Ari Leidyke's record was not set on pole day, so therefore he was not the pole setter in 1996. But it was a pole record. It was the fastest front row in, in Indy 500 history and the fastest field in Indy 500 history. But also, we saw Scott Dixon in race win category move to number two in history. And we saw Will Power go to number one in winning polls. So those are big moments. Those are uh, not something we should just kind of write off as, oh, they happened. And we move on to the next story. The Power Pole and they they really came hot and heavy late in the year. He won the mm-hmm. two at ran the two at Iowa, 
then came in and finished the season with poles, uh, particularly the one at Laguna Seca was really impressive as he's going for a championship to, to win the pole and on a, on a day when, uh, when he really needs to run well for the, for the championship. He didn't need to win that race, but he needed to run well and to come out and, and win the pole had to be such a relief for him. So those are, those are two other big moments. I think this se- this season needs to be remembered for. And they led to the championship. And as he said, I forgot about the record. You know, I was so focused on the bonus point and the track position for the race to win the championship. And in some ways, maybe that takes the pressure off of trying to eclipse a Mario Andretti record. But in another way, it makes them more significant because he he really needed that position and that point to help his championship cause. And I also just kind of think for his psyche, um, because, you know, this is a guy that has seen four championships slip away in the past. And one way to avoid getting in that mental space is to win polls and have positivity all weekend leading up to the race. And that's what he did most of the time late in the year. Yeah, a couple, three um, or four individual accomplishments that I think I think are worth kind of as we worth remembering as we move on. You know, what a great race that was in the GMR Grand Prix with Colton Herta's drive in the rain. You know, we had off and on type of conditions that day. Really impressive victory by Colton. Uh, now won eight, or I think actually seven races in his IndyCar career. Rossi, you know, he came through and and then ended his drought uh, mm-hmm. with a with another race win at at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This time on the road course, and then his transition to Arrow McLaren uh, is interesting and and will be one of those storylines that we watch. And we can't forget the Lungard David Malukas battle uh, for the Rookie of the Year championship. I know it's it's down in the finishing order uh, somewhat in the point and standings, but David Malukas and Christian Lungard took big steps this year. I think we we had expectations that Lungard might because you know he showed really well in his one race last year. We didn't, you know, we were more focused on Kyle Kirkwood than we were on David Malukas. Uh, I don't think we expected David to, I know we didn't, to be on a short oval, to be challenging the Team Penske drivers uh, in the last few laps of a race. I mean, you know, we know that Dale Coyne's team has run well on ovals, but Malukas, you know, getting him in between two Penske cars on the last couple laps of a race, yeah. uh, that was very impressive. What else are we forgetting? Feel free to send it along at Kevin Lee 23. We'll throw them in at the end of the show tonight uh, at Kurt Cavan as well. Uh, the high V weekend, I think was, was pretty significant as well. Not only because it got a track back on the schedule that so many of us wanted to see continue. And it looked like that, well, it wasn't happening. It was off the schedule and that not only does that track have a future, it might be a template to do at other places. Maybe that idea gets Milwaukee back on the schedule, or maybe there's a way to transfer some of that thinking and strategy on to Texas Motor Speedway and make sure that that track stays on the schedule. So I thought that was another significant part of the season. Yeah, and I think maybe lastly I would throw in, you know, just so we got to see that great um, documentary, if you will, an hour-long show that – that IMS Productions did with the four four-time winners to get that done uh, at the end of last year, actually middle of last year, but but debuted this year before Al Unser passed mm-hmm. uh, to get 
you know, and get to see that chat between Foyt, Unser, Rick Mears, and Elio Castroneves was was really something special. And obviously, we won't have that opportunity again. But but I think we need to, you know, respect you know the opportunity that we had uh, to gather those men and just such a special moment. So coming up later in the show, we'll get into some of the other news items, and there are things going on that we we need to talk about. Um, last week, I did the show from Sebring, and I if I would have just stayed another day, I could have been an on-the-scene reporter for maybe some intel about the hybrid engines. So my... My source, so so Jackson ended up staying a couple of a days uh, later. We we stumbled upon the Lucas Oil School of Racing. We saw their transporter pull in, and I, I called Neil Anderson and said, "Hey, are you here?" And he said, "Hey, is your driver here? I need a coach. Somebody just bailed because we had made a last second decision to test at Sebring and didn't think that Jackson would be available. So we ended up staying a few extra days and." Uh, we thought Indy cars were done testing for the year, so I don't know if I'm spilling the beans somewhere. Um, but he said I, I saw a Ganassi car on the short course. We were on the the modified course, and there was a. He said I don't know who was in it. I couldn't couldn't see, and I asked him, did it sound like it was a hybrid? He said no, it sounded like the uh, the regular two two point six liter or whatever. So two point four, what they're in right now, right? I'm yeah. asking the wrong. No, two point. No, they're two, in two two point two. Two. 2.2, and they were trying to go to 2.4, which isn't going to happen. And again, you're asking the wrong person. This is probably why I said, eh, ain't that big of a deal to me. I can't even remember what that is. Other people, I understand. I understand that is important to uh, some other people. So just because it's not critical to me doesn't mean it doesn't matter to someone else. Uh, so I don't know if, I don't know why else they'd be there if they weren't testing the component of the hybrid. But he said, I can't confirm that that's what was happening. It sounded like a normal race car to me. So there you go. There was one little last IndyCar foray around the track. And and some of the other things that we'll get into later on the show, uh, well, we've got more engineering changes that have been reported. I think those are, are noteworthy to mention. Um, some of the other notes... Oh, another a test driver already. Ganassi is looking to 2024, right? Yeah, Silly right. season for 2024 is already getting started. So we'll get to that. Guests coming up, the guys from Dinner with Racers, uh, Stefan Wilson and Don Cusick from the Thermal Club will join us in just a moment. Stay with us. Happy holidays. It's Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Thanks for staying with us as Trackside continues. Final program of 2022. Never too early to start thinking and talking about the Indianapolis 500. In fact, we've been doing that for the last four or five months. Silly season for the 500 has really been the fall of 2022. And one of the uh, questions answered a few weeks ago when it was confirmed that Stefan Wilson will be entered into his fifth Indianapolis 500 in a combined effort with Cusick Motorsports, for the third time, and now with Dreyer and Reinbold in their number 24 entry, Stefan and Don Cusick joined us now. And I got some questions coming up for Don, too, about Thermal Club, where IndyCar is going to have their spring training. And I know Stefan knows the track as well. But I guess we'll just start with this, Steph. What a difference a year makes. You know, up until, what, May, you didn't think there was going to be any opportunity in here uh, well before Christmas, you're set to go in a quality ride for the Indy 500. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm over the moon uh, with how this uh, has all come about. You know, I think uh, this year was a, definitely a, a difficult situation to be in, um, you know, going into May and still not knowing if we were going to be competing in the biggest race in the world. Um, it's not ideal. And, uh, you know, fortunately, it, it all did pan out. We got to race in this year's race. You know, it wasn't the sort of uh, scenario we all would have liked. Um it was always going to be challenging, but it was kind of the way we looked at it and went into that race this year was we had to be there. We had to be in the race in order to get to the situation that we have now, which is a really, a really quality ride done well in advance, lots of preparation time. And it's really everything that myself and Don Cusick and Cusick Motorsports have worked towards. So yeah, we're really uh, thrilled with how things have come together and, and we're excited about the opportunities that lay in wait with this as well, like the expansion possibilities and the fact that we can create a home here with John Reinbold and create a, uh, a really tight, uh, close-knit relationship with that with that group. And I'll ask Don about the business aspect of the importance of being in this year's 500, um, because th- there was a point where I think a lot of us were debating, you know what, if if it can't be done properly at all, maybe it's best just to save the funding and regroup for next year. But... Since you did do it, as you said, you you finished the race. How much more prepared by not missing a year are you to be competitive in 2023 because you did fight through it and get laps and, and experience again in the 500? Yeah, uh, yeah, for me, I mean, it was, um, you know, it was definitely a challenging position to be in. I think, you know, the last couple of Indy 500s, I've been in the really uh, nice ecosystem, which would really cushy ecosystem at Andretti Autosport, having, you know, five other quality drivers to sort of lean on here and there. This was a much different uh, year for me where I sort of had to be, you know, in charge of my own program. I had to really lead that. And, you know, for me, I felt like I I gained a lot of confidence out of doing that. It didn't show in the results and it's not going to, you know, but at the same time, you know, I was leading – leading the charge on the engineering front and and helping develop our setup and it was not easy <laughs> you know uh the car was not friendly to drive for this first uh first week of practice and managed to avoid some some pretty uh hairy situations and like you said we finished the race and you know even in the race i i, I was able to um you know deal with a very loose car for, for many stints and could very easily see why other people were having issues that day and you know, losing control and, and uh, hitting the wall. And we were, we, we didn't do that. We finished the race and um, you know, it just helps me gain even more experience and puts me in a better position going into this year. Like you said, not missing a year, not letting that experience sort of uh, lapse. Um, you know, it's just going to mean I'm, I'm that much more fresher coming into this year's, and, and Don, I'm sure it was critical too to the partners you already had on board for a potential program to be able to deliver the Indy 500 made it much easier to get them to come back. And I'm also curious, whatever else you want to add to that, and then how you ended up partnering with Dreyer and Reinbold. Sure. Well, you know, look, I, I think, um, and I hope it shows our commitment to the program um, that we weren't just a novelty year one, although it was a pretty novel circumstance but that we were committed to IndyCar and wanting to run and, and certainly run the 500 and, and also run more races. And, and I, I think it also reaffirmed uh, our commitment to Stefan. Uh, you know, we, we believe in Stefan as a driver. We always have. 
the 2021 race certainly didn't end like we wanted it to, although it was super promising. Um, you know, 2022, perfectly candid, seeing Steph jump in that car under those conditions. Um, I was a little nervous about it. Yeah. Um, so, so I was happy with how that all ended up, that we did finish the race, that he managed to pilot, pilot that car uh, for 500 miles. And I think it lent uh, to our credibility uh, when we wanted to come back in 2023. You know, the Dreyer Reinbold thing was relationship driven in, in a large part. Stefan and Anders uh, Crone, who's been a big part of our organization, uh, really leaned in. That was our target. That's what we wanted to run with. We like their program. They're a Indy 500 only focused team right now, which, uh, you know, was good for what, uh, for what was coming next for us. And I think there's also opportunity to do more with them, which is also what we wanted. So, uh, for us, kind of a perfect world scenario for, uh, for the 2023 race. And, um, as we've gotten to know Brett DeBoard and Dennis Reinbold and, and Chase and some of the others over there, uh, it just reaffirms for for us that we really made the right decision they're they're terrific you'll find a lot of people that will vouch for dennis reinbold and his group that do a full season effort even if they only enter one race a year is is the thought of expanding more about 2024 or is there any chance of doing anything extra in 2023 we'd love to do more in 2023 um i i think that the most important focus for us is to get to the 500 ready to go. Um, they're doing a lot of work uh, towards that in, in the beginning months. But, you know, if, if all goes well at the 500, as we expect, then I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a good possibility we'll run a couple of more races at the end of 2023 and look to adding even more uh, of those to the 2024 schedule. Fantastic. Uh, I know Dennis has, plans on a second car but he's also said you know we're not going to do it if it's not the right fit so that's still a little bit tbd stefan does what are the pluses and minuses if you're a single car and a second car especially if it's a a veteran teammate yeah i think that there's you know um a lot of pluses and minuses you know um i think that uh there's there's several really good experienced indy car drivers on the on the i'm still still looking for an opportunity at Indy right now. So, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out and, and which, which one of those, um, you know, ends up being my teammate. You know, I think I've got experience working with a couple of them. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's, it's always good to have a teammate that you're experiencing the same things with. You can bounce ideas off of set up, create, you know, um, set up development and really discuss that and, you know, that, that's always helpful. Um, you know, so I think it's, you know, it's going to be down to Dennis and, and Brett and the rest of the team to, to make a good decision and, and see who we ended up with. You've run with a powerhouse team like Andretti before with what were there? Six cars the year you ran with them, five, six, seven, nine, that's right. yeah. whatever, a bunch. Uh, there was so, six, you know, yeah. most people would well, say you always, yeah. Yeah, you always want to be with a team like Andretti, but isn't there something to be said for, being more of a focus, especially when it's a solid program like Dennis Reinbold has, you're going to be either the car or one of two cars, and you're the guy that got there first. This is something you've not experienced before. 
Yeah, I think at Andretti, you know, there was six cars and then plus the two Shen cars. So yeah, that's right. it was a really, really busy uh, engineering room, like uh, eight, eight drivers, uh, eight engineers, so eight opinions <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, so it kind of, um, it made, made for really long debriefs. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it made it a little bit difficult to, um, you know, you had to really hone in on what you were feeling in the car and really, uh, work with your engineer to, to help develop that setup. So, um, it's, sometimes it can be a bit of a distraction. And I, I, I think that it, you've got a couple of guys that are very opinionated and they go a different way, then it can kind of distract you. Whereas here we can be hyper-focused and really focus in on what we're trying to achieve and what we're feeling in, in our car. Um, it would be nice to have a teammate, you know, just to double check things with. And um, there's a couple of really good guys on the market that, um, you know, I, like I said, I've had experience with working and I think they're really smart, intelligent drivers that can add to the overall uh, program. So, um, yeah, I think it's good to have that kind of character in the mix um, rather than someone that's maybe um, a little more erratic, a little bit more emotional and, and is a little harder to get the feedback from. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Stefan Wilson and Don Cusick are joining us. Don, Stefan has told us the story and, and it's been told on radio and television of how you guys came together, you know, and you said, basically, I want to come to the Indy 500. Can you get me sweet tickets? Would you like to come? And eh, I don't really want to come unless I'm driving. And you made that happen. So whatever, three years or so later, are you still Okay, are you still happy with the decision you made to venture into this part of the business and and be a co entrant for a race car? I, I think more so. Um, you know that that first time was quite the experience, as I think anybody that would that's been there for the first time would tell you. Um, real overwhelming, full immersion into that world. Um, but yeah, I, I think more so. I'm starting to understand a little bit more about the business of IndyCar racing, and um, you know, my bond with Stefan and the crew has has done nothing but strengthen and grow. Um, I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of it. Um, <laughs> I've never been so busy as since I sold my company and retired. But uh, <laughs> it's it's really it's it's great. It's great getting to know everybody. Um, it's really nice to have some credibility and be taken seriously now. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. So is my wife, which is even better. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that helps. And, and you are a member at Thermal Club where IndyCar will hold their official spring training test coming up in early February. How much were you involved in this conversation to kind of get this started? Well, first of all, we're, we're super excited to, to, be hosting them. And um, I think, you know, my input was probably from a member's perspective. Um, what do you think about this, Don? What do you think the other members would think about this? Is it disruptive? Is it is it desirable? You know, what are your thoughts? And that's kind of how those conversations started. And, you know, obviously I was jumping up and down and squirming all around. I, I could hardly wait. Um but, you know, as they progressed, I think, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm friends with Tim and Tuana that own Thermal. We're, we're personal friends. I'm friends with Nick Rhodes, who is kind of the operation side track manager there, and also the general manager over on the food and beverage side. So we did have conversations about it. And, and um, 
I, I don't think I was instrumental in making it happen as much as I'm a cheerleader for it to happen and kind of like a liaison to the other members and, and telling them how great it's going to be. And, and we do believe it's going to be great. It's, it's a heck of an opportunity that not a lot of people have at this level. Steph, I'm going to guess you have a decent amount of laps there, if nothing else, in, in Don's cars. What kind of race course is it for what IndyCar will be using? How useful will it be to prepare for the season? Yeah, it is a fantastic uh, setting for the uh, you know for the open test. Um, it's an incredible facility. You know the the level of facility is is you know five stars. Um, you know, and it's only going to get better. It's only going to keep developing. There's only going to be more houses there. Um, so from that standpoint, it's amazing. And the track, you know, for a kind of country club type track, you know, you, I have some reservations going in there, but they've done an incredible job creating some elevation changes and, and some of the unique corners out there as well. I think the teams are going to love it. The drivers are going to enjoy it as well. And, um, and it's going to be good, a good opportunity for, for IndyCar to really get in front of a lot of, you know, powerful decision makers that, yeah. that own, own houses there. Yeah, maybe another driver can meet their Don Cusick who can help them <laughs> in the Indy 500. Don, um, would there be an appetite for the members and the homeowners there to race there? That's a t- an entirely – this is not an open-to-the-public type of test. This is going to not be a fan event, so it's going to be a smaller footprint. Would there be any scenario where a race could happen there? Yeah, I think so. Um you know, uh, there's certainly space to do it the way it's configured right now. Uh, Tim and Tawana Rogers always find a way to accommodate what needs to be accommodated. Uh, the blueprints are already set and the permits pulled for a fourth track. There's, there's three tracks that can be contiguous, each one being 1.7 miles. So you can run a total of 5.1 or 3.0. Uh, 3.8, which is kind of the normal thing. Um, so, so yeah, we can. There's space out there. Let's just say that thermal is is far enough away from population centers. Uh, you know, 15 minutes from La Quinta, 20 minutes from 25 minutes from the heart of Palm Springs. Um, they could definitely make it happen, and it'd be super exciting, um, especially if it's in February when it's perennially 75 degrees and sunny um i think a lot of the east coast people wouldn't mind knocking the frost off uh, out in the desert for for a week or so hey and a lot of us have been trying and i know indycar has been efforting to try to come up with another venue to get the season started earlier or to take away one of the gaps try to avoid the nfl as much as possible in the fall there's an open market space in february and march and and i hope that is uh, an option. You know, I, I often try to give because in part, I understand that part of the business now are our guests a chance to, to mention some of their partners and sponsors. I definitely want you to do it because you have some really unique and interesting partners on Stefan's car. Yeah, more, more to come. But uh, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Carekeepers is uh, kind of our co-primary this year, and uh, we're super excited to have them on. Gary Tennyson, who uh, is the owner of that company, has always been a, a supporter of Stefan's throughout his racing career. But uh, he started this new venture, and he's come at us in a big way. And uh, it's a unique and exciting 
business, bringing home health care to uh, to seniors and, um, you know, kind of ambulatory type patients. So super happy to have him on board and super appreciative of what he's doing for us. He, he wrote a big check. So um, big shout out to Gary. And then, of course, you know, we've got um, a, a lot of other interesting ones. Sierra Pacific Lumber has been uh, – with Stefan since the beginning as well. He was on our car in 2021. Um, and uh, that's just because Mark Emerson, who owns the company, is a huge fan of Stefan's and a huge fan of racing and, and loves the show. So, uh, yeah, we're glad to have him back. Um, car Blip's back for a, a second year. That's Brian Johnson, um, concierge car buying. And um, he's growing with us and, you know, Love, love having him on board. Um, you know, I've got a couple of companies that uh, that I'm an investor in who've been with us from the beginning. L- Lolo Sport is one that comes to mind. One, one of the yep. people involved with Lolo Sport, our listeners would know. Uh, yeah, sure. Mr. Peterman on Seinfeld. John O'Hurley, <laughs> also the uh, announcer at the National Dog Show. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they were not race people. They were uh, golf people. And uh, Lola is kind of a lifestyle golf brand, but man, have they embraced it and do they love it? So they'll be they'll be at their trackside with us uh, uh, in May for sure. And Can we uh, mentioned the other person from the golf world. Is that open for discussion yet? That you have not yet? Okay, so we'll we'll, mean, un- we'll unveil that at a later on, at a later date. I could just tell you that it's the second biggest name in golf for golf fans, probably. Um, yeah, we 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 had conversations this morning. It's definitely going forward. Uh, official announcement will probably be uh, right before the thermal test dates. Okay, but um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. And then you know we have uh, we we just have some some friends of Stefan that have supported him uh, forever. Um, hey, one eight one Fremont and mosaic animal care um there's also um romac ironworks um lec um trying to think of who else out there that are on the car and i thought my car had the most most stickers you guys have taught me good work good work i'm just really impressed up my game i think we all we all need to give don a a hand here because uh that was pretty impressive he was speaking like a uh, driver right there listening off these sponsors explaining them all i'm really impressed yeah but uh yeah, well, yeah i really you know think it, all the partners enough because it all makes it all possible and you know it it's uh it makes it just a, a little bit easier to go race and it's great to be able to then showcase that their brands and who they are and and raise awareness for them you know like, like carekeepers uh, you know they they really stepped up in a big way this year they're really trying to utilize the sport to, to help promote their, their their company and their products. So, yeah, that's um that's all you can ask for, and really really grateful for their support. You know, so then these are you know, good folks too. Yeah, they're they're really good people. They're they're uh, now big race enthusiasts and big supporters of the five hundred and and the entire program. So it really makes it fun. I mean, when we're out there, when we walk into uh, our headquarters hotel. Um, you know, in the month of May and, and then all those partners come and we all get on the bus and we go eat together. It's just a blast. I mean, it, it's really, it's really fun. Big family, you know, right? Yeah, it, it is a big like family. A big family of, of partners all, all uh, you know, there to support the same same car, the same team, you know. It, it's um, That's what's really exciting. You, when I do a sweet visit on race day morning, 
and um you know everyone's there wearing the, the Kisuk no sports shirts it's like yeah wow it's uh it's really amazing to see all the support that they they have shown well i want I to enjoy be, uh... christmas and get through that but after that uh is it may yet will be the question we, we are ready <laughs> for for Listen, the month I, of may kevin i wouldn't be a good businessman if i didn't mention the fact that the primary spot on the car is still available okay uh, there, there's room <laughs> for others so uh, anybody that's interested out there please please let us know all right Stephen Wilson. Effort, so, uh, Stephen Wilson driving the number 24, Cusick Motorsports, Dryon Reinbold, Chevrolet, Don Cusick, the co-entrant. Gentlemen, it's great to catch up with you. We'll see you soon. Hopefully, well, you're already in warm conditions, Don. Uh, I'm hoping to, to find an excuse to go to a warm condition sometime again very soon, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Congrats again, and we'll look forward to talking to you in the new year. Thanks, Thank Kevin. You, Kevin. We appreciate it very much. Good to be with you. Plenty more to come, including the guys from the Dinners with Racers podcast coming up in a bit. Stay with us. It's Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, quick segment here to get caught up. Shocker, I ran a little bit long in the first two segments. And I also forgot again to ask Kurt about uh, any Christmas uh, gift recommendations as far as books are concerned. He has the rest of the evening off because uh, he's got some uh, holiday party commitments. But I sent him a text and said, give me a book or two. And he said, I always like to, to reread Andy Granatelli's book. Um, does he have more than one book? I remember what they called me, Mr. 500. And then he said, Sid Collins' book is also a big favorite. And I know one of the others that I forgot is I just looked around my office and made up a list for, was it last week's show or the week before? Uh, the, the now, uh, unfortunately, late Pat Kennedy ha- has a book I have here in the office, the official Indy 500 trivia book, which I've used on occasion when we used to do trivia questions. And, and I know he wrote a couple of other books, too, that you can probably Google and find as well. All right. There's a little bit of news from the last week or so. Nothing major, but I do have some updates on where Indy 500 things stand. I'll maybe take a stab at a guess who might be Stefan Wilson's teammate, or at least the options with Dreyer and Reinbold. What about Ganassi? Plenty more. And the guys from Dinner with Racers, Sean Heckman, Ryan Eversley, coming up in just a moment. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. And our listeners have heard us mention before uh, the Dinner with Racers podcast. And, and I always give the new batch of podcasts that are released around Christmas time a big plug this time of year, in part because, well, one, I like them. And and two, because we usually take a little break and we're off next weekend as well. So this is something to help fill the time if you have some holiday travel and so forth. And it uh, is is more of a reason to bring up this next segment because Sean Heckman and Ryan Eversley have officially run out of guest ideas, and I'm included in the latest release that just came out in the last few days. And when asked for one word to describe our visit, I said reciprocal. So, Ryan and Sean, here we are. You're now visiting on our podcast and radio show. How are you guys? Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're reciprocating. I, I, I feel like uh, we, we basically you're our last episode. We ran out of guests, so, so that's it. So thanks I'm, for the I'm show. Number, and I'm number two twenty, and now it's over. If, yeah, if it doesn't come back, I'm going to take a lot of blame. So I really <laughs> need you guys to do another season next year. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, our diet, our diet choices from the show will be the reasons that the, the show stops. So I think Sean will back <laughs> me up on that. 
Yeah, I think just the just the massive coronary I'm due for <laughs> is probably going to be what it, what ultimately does us in. So on the big graphic that's out there on the Dinner with Racers uh, podcast social media, uh, you always have a nice quip about each guest. But I have to say, I I didn't do AM country radio. I was on a fifty thousand watt FM blowtorch. <laughs> Not, I, I did host a show on the fifty two watt AM station as well. Well, um, guess what? Graphics <laughs> gonna get made now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think AM country radio works much better. AM. I, All right. Well, I, I think AM country radio works much better. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so your promotional graphic for uh, for your specific episode that we promote in a couple of days is now going to say too good for AM radio, Kevin Lee. No, no, I was still there. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I was still there. And there I wasn't a disc jockey. I had to fill four hours every morning for at least eight people listening. At least. Sometimes Solid. we get double figures. Solid. Do your one hundred seven point five fans know about the uh, the old country radio days and doing the graveyard shift? Some do, yeah. So some that have been around for a while. That was kind of how I got started doing. And and I always tell kids too that uh, it's better to start at a little station like that because you get to do everything. I was the news director, the sports director. I was the program director of the fifty two watt station, and then a disc jockey and news director on the on the fm station and called ball games and it, it was good look where you yeah, end up yeah i mean I, I, about, I, go ahead sorry no no, no no the thing that i'm sad about is that you didn't have like a handle it wasn't <laughs> like the late night renegade here it's yeah. you know newcastle's finest am country radio so or low in, watt FM, whatever in, it was. In high school, one morning I decided I needed a handle, you know, when you're 16 yeah. years old and went by the General Lee. And right. luckily that went away really quickly. I said, you know, that's probably. Yeah, that won't fly idea. today, sir. No, it yeah, definitely yeah. would not fly today. Definitely would not fly today. All right. So um, I, I think most of our listeners are familiar with the podcast. They're race fans. But unless they knew you or maybe went back or just listened to every single episode, I don't know that they know the full extent of your guys' background uh, other than some basics. So, Sean, I want you to explain to people who you are and and how you got to where you're at right now. Chatting on, uh, let's see, are we on AM? No, we're on FM radio in a podcast at the moment. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're we're huge now. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I my background is somewhere between traditional and non-traditional. Um, like like anybody in motorsports, except for you, Kevin. Uh, I also started in racing as a as a young kid, karting, and and uh, you know, got so far as a driver, and and actually. Within my own right, I think I had a reasonable amount of success, but kind of had to stop for some injury reasons. Um, and, you know, the, the background, as far as I know, within as far as I'm known within the sport is more on the TV and production side. And so uh, I went to UCLA and after UCLA, basically worked in TV for several years, worked at NBC and, and Fox and a bunch of sitcoms and written uh, uh, dramas and stuff like that. Uh, but ultimately landed doing a lot of documentary work with History Channel and Discovery and things like that, which is ultimately where I kind of started my own company to get me back into racing and that's where the company i run today tmb creative uh, still exists and uh somehow one of my clients uh, that i was working with led me to meeting ryan eversley now when i met you you were doing some pr so you yes. really haven't done a lot of motorsports pr work 
That is not entirely true. Uh, okay. So I so I started a business. So basically, the the my entree back into motorsports, which now was almost fifteen years ago, uh, came from I did a television show for HDNet, which used to be a a TV channel when HD. I worked there once. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. So I did a uh, I did a six part documentary about the Rolex Twenty Four at Daytona and a new Pontiac GTO. Pontiac was a car company, Kevin. Uh, but the Pontiac GTO debuted at the Rolex Twenty Four. I did a whole documentary series following that. But doing that show kind of woke me up to the idea that uh, motorsport and specifically sports car at that time didn't have a lot of guys like me, which were sort of small, somewhere between one and three man bands that could do a lot. Because at the time, in like the mid 2000s, if you were going to do a video, it required a crew of 15 people, uh, which, you know, the technology was evolving. And so I saw an opportunity for myself to start a company that could kind of jump into motorsports as sort of a Hollywood guy and then do a lot of PR and marketing efforts. So um, actually PR and marketing and video production was sort of what my company did for years, uh, mainly for private teams. So uh, a lot of customer driven teams uh, and and where I'm probably most known for you would be a team like Magnus Racing, yep. which is still in IMSA today. Uh, I'm not doing PR and marketing for them anymore. I'm still involved in a different capacity. But, uh, but a guy like John Potter, who runs that team, he's a really goofy dude in a really fun way. And so my personality is a little bit known for doing weird stuff. And so John and I always got along. And so I say uh, I'm probably most known for some of the work I did with Magnus Racing, which is notorious for a lot of crazy videos and PR stunts and you name it. And um, and that's kind of where Dinner with Racers branched from because people all of, a saw, all of a sudden saw the kind of work I could do. And then you team with a guy like Ryan who kind of had his own brand and his own personality, which was very much in line with what I was doing with Magnus. And so it kind of made sense for Ryan to to be who he is with what we do and then the kind of production background and creative set that I come from. It, it just always kind of worked. And we always greatly enjoy the Magnus press releases because they're not like the others. They're actually creative <laughs> and fun and don't take themselves too seriously. Now, Ryan, I think most people, if they don't, uh, you are a professional race car driver. You've been driving in sports cars at many different levels for a long time. You've done some NASCAR as well. But I don't think you came from the traditional driver background. Give us kind of your down low. Yeah, my parents were both uh, involved in racing before I got born. In fact, that's how they, they, they met. And uh, so from day one, I've got photos of me at Road Atlanta, where where I grew up, uh, literally like as an infant at GTP tests with my dad, who was running some really cool cars in, in the IMSA series. So uh, I think it was always going to be in my future to be involved in the sport at some point and in some capacity. But uh, I mentioned my dad was a crew chief. I don't know too many crew chiefs from sports car racing that have just the amount of disposable income. And I think you can appreciate this as well with your side of the sport that mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't going to be able to fund me to go be a race car driver. So my parents basically gave me the uh, option when I was in high school, like, Hey, you've done some karting, but not a lot. And it was literally like my dad knew a guy who had a couple of carts for his kids. So I get to go do a couple of, you know, random WK races in a, in a third or fourth chassis that, you know, they're not racing for a reason. Um, but I was out there doing it and enjoying it. And, uh, uh, they gave me the option in high school to continue just to be a high school kid, or they would take me out of high school to homeschool. Uh, and as long as I continued to further my education, they would allow me to go get a job with the race team. And so when I was 16, I got a job with the race team based out of road Atlanta and, uh, left public school, started doing homeschool in the morning, working as a mechanic in the afternoon. And I grew up around my dad. So, and he's a very talented mechanic, but I didn't know. What a lot of people assume, I just already knew how to do a lot of stuff and I didn't. So like my first few weeks in racing were 
breaking down cardboard boxes at race car parks showed up in <laughs> going to get pizza late at night, cleaning body work, cleaning wheels. And, uh, uh, that was the beginning of my career in 2000. And, uh, I started getting to drive race cars around 2003 for money I had saved as a mechanic and then using the relationships I had made at that point to build my way into, into some opportunities. And so, uh, I'd say I started racing as a mechanic in 2000 and then, uh, I think my first pro ride was like 2003 for a one-off and uh, it just kind of started to build from there, but I probably didn't earn a full living just from driving until 2010. So it took about six or seven years of like fumbling around, getting opportunities here and there. So having to go back to being a mechanic at one point, uh, things like that. And, uh, and then eventually I was able to find a full-time ride in 2010 uh, in, uh, in what was called Grand Am, which is now in and um, that was actually in a Honda. And so I started to build a relationship with Honda. And then at the end of 2014, they approached me about becoming a factory driver. And I've been a factory driver for Honda and sports car racing ever since. Yeah, I think that path uh, leads those that know that are going to respect you even more, that mom and dad didn't hand it to you. You worked for it. Yeah. You earned your opportunity. So let me ask you this. When you were coming up as a mechanic, did that ever lead to opportunities that you were just there working hard and did the teams ever say all right as a, a little bit of a thank you we're going to let you do a test and get some laps and, and see how it goes yeah precisely i i basically sweat equity was the only thing i could i could offer and um i was so enthusiastic about it that i think people saw that and they want you always want to help the guy that's really working mm -hmm. hard for something you know and i know you you deal with that with the young kids in our sport that do the journalist side of stuff um and so i, I was able to get help from guys like Mike Johnson and Andy Lally, uh, uh, James Cook, who eventually gave me a very big opportunity. Those guys were like, okay, I see that you're working. I can't pay you, but I can help you get a test here and there. I can help you get in a car and, and things like that. And so the biggest thing I learned from the sport then was relationships are going to be, you know, a massive part of, of how this works. And that's one of the things that on, to this day, I'm amazed, like on dinner with racers when we sit down, like, for example, we were talking to Helio Castro Neves and he was telling us about how he ran into Tony Kanaan at a go-kart track when he was like seven years old or something. And, and it blows my mind that like, you guys are now like 40 years down the road and you still see each other at work every day. Yeah. And, uh, and so relationships mean so much in the sport and how you get opportunities. And so I was able to take advantage of that as a young mechanic and it's helping me to this day almost 40 years later and on another continent. So yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah, is yeah. It is a very small world. Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman are joining us from Dinner with Racers. So Sean, how did the podcast get started? Uh, I don't, it's all a blur now in a bad way. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if we ever really explained it, but Eversley and I have never officially met. <laughs> I, uh, and I'm serious about this. Like, and I think Ryan, you know what I mean when I say this. Yeah, like, we yeah. we've had a lot of the, you know, I I was doing a lot of the PR and marketing stuff uh, with friends of Ryan's, like Andy Lally and Spencer Pelly and that whole kind of Atlanta-based group. They always knew my kind of unique personality, and I know on my end, I was always told like you'd get along with Eversley. And I think Ryan, you were probably hearing the same thing. Exactly. Um, and I'll, I remember to this day, Ryan and I were talking at the Daytona 24 before all the dinner with racer stuff. And uh, we were talking and I remember walking away going, we've never met. 
but we just like kind of assume we just like, knew. Hey. Yeah. Hey, hey, what's going on? How's the car? Yeah, like there was no like, hey, I'm Sean, hey, I'm Ryan. Yeah. Uh, and then we did a we did a couple of little things together. I did some videos for some clients of of Ryan's on the coaching side and that kind of thing. Uh, but I would say the the real impetus with dinner with racers, actually going back to Magnus Racing, is um, I used to do a uh, live pit side web stream for Magnus Racing. It was a very weird. In fact, you've been on it, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, it was a very <laughs> weird kind of fun behind the scenes look of what a race team is going through. So it was just from the perspective of the one team, we were literally in the pit box with webcams and radio feeding in. Uh, but of course, you have to fill out 24 hours of, of a broadcast when a lot of times in the middle of a race, there's not much going on if you're just from one team's perspective. I like to do weird stuff and kind of put on a show. So we kind of made it a whole experience with jokes and guests and whatnot. Um, and there was one year where Ryan uh, uh, had free time. And so he was my co-host uh, where we really for 24 hours had to figure out how to work together. Uh, and I think we always realized that we instinctively knew each other's sensibilities uh, when it came to broadcasting and being kind of fun um, anyway. And so that, that kind of set the precedent and I've always, you know, podcasts were starting to blow up uh, about 10 years ago outside of motorsports. Uh, and uh, even though I, I think a lot of people give me credit for coming up with different ideas, the truth is I just steal things from outside of the sport and then bring it back. <laughs> So I'm just a hack. I don't think that's terribly secretive, but podcasts were going really big in the comedy world, which both Brian and I like to pay attention to. And so I was like, we should do something like that uh, because that doesn't really exist in the motorsport space. And we kicked it around and then we went to our uh, partners at Continental uh, to see if they would be interested in us doing something like that, if they had any cash to throw at. And Ryan, how quickly did they say yes? Too quickly. Way too quickly. We didn't ask Way for too quickly. Yeah. Well, so now you got to do it. Well, yeah, so now well, we have to do it, and, yeah. and we did not. We didn't charge enough because we're like, "Hey, we're thinking of doing this." Po-. Yes, they're like, uh, "Sure." We're like, like uh, "Oh, you yeah. sure you don't want to?" Like, like mm, I don't know. And you yeah. started with just covering expenses, and oh, we actually maybe could have made money doing this. Yeah, we're still figuring that out, but um, yeah. but uh, yeah. So in 2015, we were like, "Oh crap!" Continental said yes. We have a check. We have to go do it. So uh, yeah. So Ryan did you say 2015? 2015 yeah. was our first year doing. Wow, this. I didn't know it had been that yeah. long. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. been a long, yeah. like an old married couple. In our <laughs> yes, um, Sean and I have this funny and now disgusting thing that's been happening, where if one of us is traveling for something unrelated to to racing or work, and we see something like he he was in Germany and he saw a military museum, and he's like, "Oh, Ryan would like that," and he was like, "Oh." Yeah, like, yeah. First thing I thought about, not the girl I was with. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. Really, really unfortunate. But yeah, that was 2015. So we, with what little bit of money we had from Continental, we decided the only way we we're going to do all these interviews with racers uh, was to do a road trip because we didn't want to do it at a racetrack because we wanted to get unfiltered, just like we did with you, Kevin. Uh, so we we. In 2015, set on the road. I, I don't think Ryan, when we first signed up, realized it was going to be like a five-week adventure across the country, but that's <laughs> how it panned out. And then it set a precedent, and we're still doing the same thing. Ryan, are you surprised at all that uh, at, at the response and that it's lasted this long? So it, it's actually funny because um, the, that first year we did it, I was so amped up about what we were going to do. And I wasn't a podcast fan at all. Like I didn't, I had never really listened to him until Sean gave me the idea, like listen to these specific shows because they're long format. Mm-hmm. And so, so I started listening to all sorts of stuff just to get an idea. Um, but my fans that I've made 
from just my driving stuff have been so supportive at that point. Like I've done a lot of charity things with online social media interaction. So I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. Like our fans are going to love this, but Sean's worked in major productions before. Like think about your favorite show that got canceled and you thought it was great, but NBC or whoever didn't. And so he's used to like seeing real budgeted things just not work out. And so I'm over here, like, you know, rose colored glasses, like, Oh, it's going to be awesome. And Sean's like, I don't want to burst your bubble, but just remember that this could go the other way, like we could kill ourselves for this and people might not care. So just yeah. keep that in mind. And I think that actually, that was like day one of our first road trip. And that actually changed my way of looking at it of like, okay, I really do want to du- like double down and do my research and, and pay attention to what Sean's asking to figure out what I should be asking. And uh, we put up that first season and we had uh, like a quarter million people download it. And it was like, oh my God, wow. okay, this is real now. And it's just blown up. It's been insane. And I also think that's a great insight into our two personalities. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan is all positivity. Everything's going to work out. And I'm like, I don't trust anything we're doing. So we, <laughs> we have to triple down and work extra hard because I can't let these things fail. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that it is long form. So it's very different. It's not competing with a show like mine, which is timely, weekly news of the week. Yes, we have guests, but we generally have the guests for 15 or 20 minutes Whereas you might chat with someone maybe for three or four hours and then can edit to find the best 60, 90 minutes out of that. And there are people that you've had as guests that I feel like I know pretty well, and I still learn something out of that. Now, the question I'll ask you is how often do you have to take uh, something out that would be really good, but you need to do it to protect your guest? Never, Kevin. We've never edited anything significant out ever, Kevin. I don't know what you're asking, Kevin. Sure, sure. We're sure not talking about your episode either. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't happen. No. No. Well, the problem with mine is I didn't say enough controversial stuff, and I I felt bad for you guys. I felt bad that I wasn't given any – I did think of some stories on the way home that maybe I could have shared, but they still would not have reached the level – no. Of of some of your other guests. I've got some of my episodes that are favorites, uh, like yeah. Justin Marks. I thought oh, he was yeah. so insightful, so smart. Just if you want to think about the business of motorsport, I think he's been on a couple of different times. You know, of course, there's the Uncle Bobby episode, which is uh, is uh, partly true. You know, sometimes some of it's true, some of it's not. And that's, that's what's great bad. about Uncle Bobby. Yep. Yeah, you know, Robin Miller. <laughs> I would encourage people to go learn about Scott Tucker. Uh, and sports car <laughs> racing. The willpower episode was fantastic. And Townsend Bell, yeah, uh, you know, and he told uh, you a story that he had sworn me to secrecy on. So I, I'm ah. surprised that he told that one publicly. So that that's fantastic. That's one of the new ones. Can we ask which one? Uh, the story about how he public made a lot of money driving in Indy Lights. Oh, I, wow. I, I, he was I okay think... with that being public, but not private uh, pre- previously. Huh? It's interesting that he was not okay with that being. Well, I I, I think he was. So I I understand this perspective, because generally, if you get the drive for free or get it subsidized, it's mostly because you don't have the money. And he probably felt kind of bad that they gave him the ride for free. And then he went out and found sponsorship to (laughs) to make money out of that. So it was "Eh, I might keep this on the down low, but it's out there now. He's a driver with money. So I do understand that. Yeah. 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 Is is there is there a favorite that you guys still go back to? And then along with that, is there someone on the wish list that you've been trying to get? Uh, I need you guys to sit down with Michael Avenatti. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we did. We, we did. You have? We did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just uh, looked called, episodes today and I didn't see that one. It's no, called Dinner with there. Racers. You can go to dinnerwithracers.com, Kevin. Uh, How long ago was that? I don't remember that one. 2019. Okay. He had just gone through his first yeah. indictment. <laughs> Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was, Maybe it was, I blended uh, that together with Scott Tucker. So, you know what's so? What's funny about that is that we made that analogy a lot during the recording with Michael Avenatti, <laughs> and he hated that. Did not yeah. like, like it. He did not like the parallel whatsoever. I don't imagine. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So the, yeah, the Michael Avenatti one. I'll let you have your own opinions on. But yeah. uh, we that was a, a lasting memory because Scott Tucker, when we sat with him you kind of got the sense he was not convinced it was going to go as bad as it did for him. Yeah. yeah. Michael Avenatti, you definitely did. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, do you have, do you have a favorite episode? I have, I have a, a easy scapegoat on this one, but I, I actually don't know what Sean's answer would be. I don't. Well, it, uh, I like all of our episodes equally. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So there's an, there's an old <laughs> PR rule that your favorite client is the one closest to you. Uh-huh. So my absolute favorite episode was Kevin Lee. Yeah, there you go. You don't have to say that, but I appreciate that. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, Sean was I, I wasn't of... even my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean was kind enough to indulge the idea of having my dad come on the show a couple of years ago. And my dad's uh, – and one of the things we like to do with our show is highlight the unsung heroes. This year we had a podcast with one of my former engineers, Chris Willis, who was a big part of the Nissan GTP program when it first started. But he's just such a – awesome guy, but you probably would never know him if you, if you didn't, you know, have someone to talk to him. And my dad's kind of that same way. He had this amazing career as a crew chief, but he's not a PR guy. He doesn't go out of his way. So yeah. it was pretty cool to get to sit down with my dad and like ask a lot of questions that I might not have had the courage to ask just in an awkward dinner, you know, but, uh, when, when it was, uh, we got to break down some stuff. It was really, really neat. And so it also gives me the chance to not have to pick one of my friends over another one. I can say, well, it's my dad's episode. Are we like done it. for the year? Are they all done for this latest batch and the next one? Yes, assuming all goes no. well, will be next so, winter. Uh, sort of the uh, the the podcast as they are. Well, you probably won't see anything before the new year. So by the time this episode comes out here on one hundred seven point five, uh, you're you're probably good for a little bit. But very very soon, uh, in the next few weeks, you will see some supporting podcasts of some old TV episodes we put out. Okay, uh, as well as possibly some new TV episodes on uh, on Motor Trend and on- Motor Trend's YouTube. And that leads me to the next thing. You have branched out now. Tell me about what else, because uh, I've seen some of those. Were you on Amazon Prime? We were and ago? are. Here's where it gets weird. Is uh, <laughs> we were on Amazon Prime, and then uh, between our partners at Continental and some some things that Motor Trend had going on, it made more sense for us to take our product over there. Uh, so we have now had three seasons on Motor Trend, including our first two that were on Amazon. And we just had a third go out over the summer on Motor Trend. There's a fourth season due. Uh, due out very, very soon. But uh, Ryan, I'll let you kind of explain the genesis of that. Yeah. So basically uh, we, when we first started doing stuff, we were doing this webcast for, I was helping Sean with his webcast that he did for, for Magnus racing. And so um, the skill set that Sean has, I think is heavily on the creative production side. I mean, he's just got so many great ideas about things and we both nerd out in a lot of the same ways, whether it's a comedy special that somebody does a little bit differently than they normally would or something like that. And so when we got the podcast going, I knew that his true talent is in in the video side of things and production. And also we wanted to build this bigger and bigger. And I think both of our goals with the show is let's do something for the fans that no one else is doing, but also let's showcase our individual talents that can maybe take us to do other things outside of just motorsports. And so when we did our first season of, uh, well, actually the first thing we did was we did a documentary that we, we self-funded about the Alan Kawicki 
and how he hadn't made it into that Hall of Fame yet. And it's on YouTube on our Dinner with Racers page now. And it was it was two things. One, it was a project we really believed in and we were huge fans of his. And so that was just, even if it never went anywhere, for me, it was a very cathartic thing we got to do. But also it was a proof of concept to Continental and Acura and, and you know, ultimately Motor Trend uh, that, hey, look, this is what we do. This is the quality that we plan on doing it. Can we can we keep going this direction? And so we started doing the TV show and Sean was very smart to think of the idea of let's, let's never do one up like one season of all the same stuff. So if you look, we have cartoons with uncle Bobby, we have a trip to Jamaica. We've been to Alaska. We've covered, you know, dirt track racing. We've covered individual drivers and all sorts of stories. And so we always bounce around. And I think that's partially because we both like to keep ourselves interested. You know, if we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, I think that would kind of burn us out and probably not want to do it at all. So the podcast works out really well that way because every driver, every personality is going to be different. Uh, I saw you had a good news this week that you're confirmed for a drive in the Michelin Pilot Challenge again this season with Honda. Yeah, I'll be back with LA Honda World in the IMSA TCR class. I'll be driving Matt Pombo, who's also from Atlanta. I've known him my whole career. And uh, this will be the first time in, I think, five years that I've had a pro teammate. So our results should relate, you know, should should turn out to be pretty solid if we just operate the way we're supposed to and uh looking forward to that and we will have dinner with racer stickers on the car as we as we had nice. in the past so big shout out to la honda world for letting us do that Wait, one of my favorite that? interviews no no no, no 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 it's free it's free it's free <laughs> okay oh. good yeah <laughs> one of my favorite interviews last year was with uh magnus racing strategist slash andy lally whisperer sean heckman might we see you in that role again for them uh, you will. Uh, Magnus, Racing just, uh, Magnus Racing just announced that they will be running again in IMSA, at least for the endurance races, with Andy, Lally, Spencer Rampelli, John Potter uh, for Daytona. I don't believe they've named their fourth driver just yet. Uh, but yeah, I will be back in whatever made-up role I'm in. Um, I won't be doing the PR and marketing, so Magnus will have some, I would hope, they'll have some really cool content and posters and whatnot coming out. Uh, but that won't be my touch. Uh, but uh, if they win the race, it'll be entirely because of strategy. And if they uh, don't do well, it will be because of the uh, English engineers. Definitely not me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will put that on my request to uh, be assigned to their pit so we can get another interview in, say, around, oh, 2.15 a.m. That sounds like the perfect time for us. Yeah, this is a good time for you and I for sure. But, Kevin, come on. (laughs) You you do know that's live, right? (laughs) Yeah, we'll make it work. Well, it's, it's uh, much appreciated. I, in all honesty, I, I was I was a bit surprised, and I was honored to be a part of the program. And hopefully, I didn't kill the program moving forward. So there needs to be a number two twenty one. Andy Lally was episode number one, and you can find that where you get all your favorite podcasts or Dinner with Racers dot com. Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Thank you guys. Have a good holiday. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Kevin. Cheers. Stay with us. More to come. Trackside ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. Okay, better late than never. It's time to get to the news and notes over the last week or so. And finally, the major news has slowed to a trickle. There are still some things out there, though. And uh, unfortunately, I, I don't suspect the news ferry will stop delivering before our next program, which is the first Tuesday in January. Is that the third? Let me double check. It is Tuesday, January 3rd from 7 until 9. So if everybody can hold off between now and then, that would be appreciated. But you know what? It'll still hold, and we've still got social media to keep us entertained. So a few other things we've noticed. Um, there was an NBCSports.com interview with Kyle Bush, and as we suspected, it sounds like the Indy 500 is not going to happen. 
He was quoted as saying, at least for this year, for him, this next year, everything has kind of gone dark. Unfortunately, the teams with Chevrolet power plants all kind of have deals lined up. IndyCar racing in general is sort of stretched thin on people right now to do a fourth effort at one of those teams to go out and find enough people to do it. Doesn't make sense and isn't going to work. I'll insert there, fourth car, is he talking about Ed Carpenter Racing? Uh, yes, could be talking about Penske, could be talking about others as well. But those are the first two that, that come to mind where those numbers add up. Uh, Kyle goes on to say, I know being a race team owner on the truck side that if we wanted to run a fourth truck, it would be really difficult to do. The people you get to do that aren't people who necessarily travel every week and know the ins and outs of the racetrack. I understand the dynamic of that. It's not yet the right time. So I I do think we can cross him off. Yes, Dreyer and Reinbold is a Chevy team. That is an option. I honestly don't think that makes a lot of sense on either side for... Uh, Dreyer and Reinbold's standpoint, or for Kyle Busch's standpoint, to do it the first time, it would be best that he is the fourth car, or at least the third car, and it's a big program, and I think it's easier for a big program, obviously we're saying it's not that easy, or they would do it, but it's probably easier to expand, I think it would help having multiple veteran teammates, Stefan Wilson is experienced, but it's not like he's run 12 Indy 500s. And it's still, when it's the only IndyCar races a year he runs, it takes a little bit of working back up to it. So I don't think that's ideal for anyone. I think you'd like to have someone with more experience on that program. So I also think that probably doesn't make a lot of sense right now for Kyle Larson. I wouldn't totally rule that out. As I've said before, it kind of just depends on their motivation. How much do they want to do it? I think you can talk yourself into it, and you know it's going to be a solid program, and they weren't going to win the race the first time around, so maybe you do it just to get the experience and then see where things stand. But, you know, again, I don't know that he adds to the program and helps Stefan. Somebody that can add to that program would be the people I've talked about, like a J.R. Hildebrand, like, I think, Charlie Kimball, um, like Ryan hunter Ray. Until we see him announced with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, or with Ganassi, and I don't know that's going to happen. I, I, I know nothing, but I give him a better chance at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan than I do at Ganassi, and here's my reasoning with no intel on that. I, I suspect they'd like to have a driver that comes with some funding, and I don't think that's Ryan at Ganassi. Whereas I think Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan is more likely to have already found the funding since they have said we're running that car. Uh, but uh, Dennis Reinbold always has some funding as well, and they have hired Sage Karam in the past. So it wouldn't surprise me that they're making a run there. But I don't know that. Uh, and are there others out there that could be options? Hey, Juan Pablo Montoya is out there and is available, and maybe Sage Karam is an option. You know, and the other big seat open is obviously the Ganassi situation. Boy, I'm thinking it's not Jimmy Johnson. Uh, The fact that they changed the car from 48 to 11 probably means Jimmy is looking elsewhere, if he's at all going to do the 500. So it's probably Sato. Maybe it's Hunter Ray. Maybe Hildebrand could be a factor in there. JR usually comes with some budget, so I, I wouldn't rule him out in that category from that standpoint as well and then back to ganassi we touched on this last week and i think it was racer.com that had this report that they're already going to soon be testing drivers 
kind of looking ahead to 2024. We all think they're losing Alex Pillow. So Ferrari Formula One test driver Robert Schwartzman is expected to get a test. He is the 2019 FIA Formula 3 champion and 2021 Formula 2 runner-up, born in Israel, raised in Russia, will test for Ganassi in January as they start to evaluate 2024 options. So I don't think that's about uh, the, the ovals for the Indy 500 program, probably talking about 20. 24. All right. Uh, we'll see if there's anything else we missed coming up in a moment. We're going to introduce you to another young driver. We like Jackson's on this show. Townsend's young son, Jackson Bell. You can guess he's probably a pretty good talker. He's going to join us to talk about his racing debut coming up in a moment on Trackside. Thank you for staying with us as Trackside continues. 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Uh, this is predominantly an indie car show. Sometimes we branch out a little bit, and, and sometimes we talk to uh, young up-and-coming drivers. And we admit we're a bit biased, and we're pretty picky on those selections, and it really helps to be related to the host or to be related to uh, one of the host's close friends. And that applies to our next guest, young Jackson Bell, the son of Townsend Bell, is fresh off his first car races, which included a pair of podiums at Circuit of the Americas in the last couple of weeks in the Skip Barber series. And I also think Jackson will be interesting because he's taken a path that's different from most other young drivers. One, pretty similar to what his dad did. And he went from Skip Barber to IndyCar in about four or five years. So, Jackson, it's great to have you on the show. I was disappointed to see... On social media, this is not your first media appearance. You're already cheating on us and doing other podcasts. That is right, Kevin. My uh, <laughs> my, my agent's done a good job getting me out there. He has. He's very persuasive on that front. So before we get into your weekend, uh, which included second and third place finishes, let's get into your background, which is different. You didn't start go karting at five and six years old and already have ten, twelve years in a seat before you get into cars. What's your racing background? Yeah, I, I have very little experience, as you know. Um, never got into the karting scene. Uh, would always would always go with my dad and my little brother to the indoor karting tracks like K1 Speed and, and MB2, what we have out in California. And I would occasionally beat my dad, which which uh, <laughs> certainly made me start thinking that this was this was a possibility down the line. Um, but yeah, got a late start and. Um, just had my first skip barber race after going to schools and doing some testing with them. And, um, <clears throat> everything is lining up to, to where I can maybe start doing this a little more often. Are you still 19 years old? Yeah, I'm 19. Yeah. Now you also work in motorsport. Tell, tell us about what else you've been doing for the last year and a half or so. Yeah. So after high school, I moved out to Mooresville, North Carolina and, uh, found a position as a, uh, kind of a, a very low level employee with a NASCAR truck series program. Um, Hattori racing who's owned by former IndyCar driver, Shigiaki Hattori, mm -hmm. um, who raced in the early two thousands. And so I've been working there the past year and a half, sweeping floors, cleaning trucks and occasionally helping them at the racetrack. Um, which is, which has been a great experience just surrounding myself with the sport and, uh, and surrounding myself with the, uh, the industry I want to be in. Has being around it made you want it a little bit more? It has, for sure. You see all these all these other kids that are driving similar to my age, and I'm thinking, why can't I be doing that? Um, 
And of course, there's there's circumstances that maybe prevent me from doing that uh, full time at the moment. But uh, it, it certainly makes you want it more. And and uh, I, I think being around the industry and being around the cars um, as close as I am, it gives me an advantage anytime I hop in a race car because I, I have a better understanding of, of kind of what I'm driving. So my opinion is that too much is made of age. It's all about how quickly can you get there. We need the next 15 or 16-year-old on the road to Indy, and we want to see you in IndyCar or Formula One by the time you're 19 or 20. And I'm not sure that every kid is equipped to do that, and a young driver can make better the opportunity at 18, 19, 20 years old. And I'm not sure why we're so impatient. Is there a chance that being older than some of the other yes i know there are gentlemen drivers that are in their 40s that you're racing against but a lot of the kids that have a chance are probably going to be 16 years old can that be to your advantage to being maybe just a little bit wiser than some of those that are just getting started in formula car racing i think for sure i think the biggest thing that that has helped me um has helped me get up to speed so quickly especially if uh, with with being as old as I am is is having all the experience of of being a spectator for so long, watching my dad race and really understanding the sport and and just having so much knowledge um, as a spectator is really really I think given me a little bit of an advantage on some of the younger kids who who haven't really watched the sport that much but have been in go karts for a long time. Uh, it's certainly. You, you don't get the, the the racing experience of some of these younger kids, but you certainly get uh, the knowledge of the sport. Jackson Bell is joining us. You know his dad, Townsend Bell. My understanding is that dad had some requirements uh, along the way for you to race and, and also just wanted to make sure you really wanted to do it. Too many parents seem to want their kids to race more than the other way around. Does that seem accurate? And does that maybe help the process to, to make you want it a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. Um, growing up, I was never, uh, my parents kind of, uh, were against me racing because my mom hated it. She hated that my dad was even a race car driver. Um, so she, she was never for it. And my dad kind of just let me, uh, kind of grow into the person who I was going to grow into. He didn't, he didn't force me into becoming a racing driver. It was quite frankly the opposite, but, um, yeah, there were certainly requirements. I mean, he wanted, he wanted to see work ethic and, and proof that I would I would work at it and take it seriously. And I think working working for a race team and kind of doing the dirty work for for a year and a half has kind of uh, shown him that that uh, I want it and mm-hmm. that I'm I'm ready to go go after it. So tell me about the first Skip Barber racing weekend, which was what about two or three weeks ago at Coda. Yeah, my first Skip Barber race weekend was yeah, two weeks two weeks ago now, and um, it was great. I, I really didn't know what to expect going into it because this was my first first car race of any kind. Um, and uh, ever, ever like since I got to the track, first practice session, I was quick. Um, I was in the top three for both practice sessions, qualified third for the race, and uh finished third in race one and and kind of just it built up all this knowledge um to kind of uh put it all together for the last race and was able to make a move on second uh past the kid who ended up winning the championship um and was able to get by him but didn't have enough to get to get the top step of the podium but i, I was still um pretty happy to, to walk yeah. away with the finish that i had do you guys have a plan yet for next year 
yeah, next year I'll be racing full time in the Skip Barber Racing Series, um, and hope to do some some races in the new Toyota GR Cup um, series. Um, and we're also looking to maybe maybe run some stock car races, have late models, or or maybe an ARCA race or two. Uh, I think is is as much as I can be in a in a race car is going to be the biggest benefit to me. Does does Dad coach? How is he as a spectator at these events? Yeah, he he's a. I mean, of course, he's he's a great coach to have. Um, but at the Skip Barber races, there's a bunch of great dri- professional driving coaches that yeah. um, have been doing it for a while. And my dad once was a Skip Barber instructor, so it's always it's definitely an advantage that a lot of kids don't have to um, kind of just have the the knowledge that my dad has and be able to ask him questions whenever I feel like it. And, um, he's, he's very, um, helpful. Well, it's pretty cool. We now have a second young Jackson to watch, try to make their way up through the road to Indy or any other path that uh, racing may take them. Congrats on the good start. We look forward to seeing what happens in 2023. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Jackson Bell, the son of Townsend Bell, kind enough to join us tonight, fresh off his car racing debut in the Skip Barber series, just a, a couple of weeks ago with a couple of podium finishes. Uh, okay, one thing I missed. I like the, the question that Mike Stoops sent in earlier this, e- this evening. With the abandonment of the 2.4-liter motor, can you ever see a third OEM joining using a formula that will be entering its 12th season or just in general ever? I fear one day IndyCar will be back to one OEM or maybe none because they may not want to supply the entire field. That's Mike's question. So I I would say this, I already thought in the scenario that we were at, it was going to be difficult to add a third in midstream. So say you you keep going with the plan for 24, no one was going to be ready for 24. So they already were going to be behind. I, I actually think that not doing a new engine increases the chance or it certainly doesn't hurt it. I think what you want to do out of this, and, and here's how I think you get a new engine package, is if and when they do find a third, that they all get together, okay, what's the timeline? Let's pick the timeline based on that. Because the other two want to have a third, and the third doesn't want to come in behind. And they were going to be behind in the current format and in this new format. So I don't think that changes things. I think it actually increases the chances to be able to go back and say you're going to be on a level playing field with the other two whenever we start, whether it's 25, 26, 27, something like that. Out of time and over time. Thank you so much for joining us throughout the year. It is always a pleasure to get to share our thoughts with the IndyCar fan base and and talk about this, that, and the other. Enjoy a week off. Enjoy the holidays. We'll be back Tuesday, January 3rd. Thank you so much. Thanks to Josh Molinix back in the studio. Have a great holiday, and we'll see you in 2023.